Announcement. The revolution will not be televised. I repeat, the hemp revolution will not be televised. Welcome to the Hemp Revolution Podcast, the global hotspot for the buzz and the cannabis. Hear the secrets of the green rush from the dreamers who are writing the rules, innovating business, and changing history forever. Immerse yourself with the fascinating stories from the leaders in the hemp health revolution to learn how we are changing the game. Now here's your hosts, James Brinkerhoff and Sonia Gomez. What's up, guys? Sonia Gomez coming to you from Denver, Colorado on another Rock Your Socks episode of the Hemp Revolution podcast, where we are sharing and telling the real story of cannabis and hemp from the eyes of the entrepreneurs who are pushing this incredible industry forward. As you know, it's our mission to bring you the truth about cannabis so that you can make educated decisions about how you care for yourself and select your products. So if you are someone looking for a product that you can depend on, check us out at medicalsecrets.com. And if you are a budding entrepreneur or established brand or business in this space looking to break through some brick walls and glass ceilings, I'd love to hear your story and share it with our community. Uh, shoot me a email, Sonia at medicalsecrets.com. I am once again here to deliver the goods, but bring the heat and make it fire up in here, guys. So we have another amazing entrepreneur who's actually out of North Texas, a cannabis and hemp advocate, consumer and business owner, spreading the word of the mighty hemp seed and the many in- industrial applications beyond CBD that have been available for long time, but he himself, since 2009, through organizing the first grassroots hemp events in Texas and fighting for industrial hemp legalization on a national level, has had his hands in making it possible for those of you who need and want it to be able to access it. His interest has been in legislative development, making sure that patient, patient advocacy and product Quality. Put your hands together and help me welcome my good friend Ramiro Rosas, who's going to tell us about the temperature down in Texas, which is hot, hot, hot. What's going on? How's right. it going? Thanks for being here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. The super intro is always in a, yeah, it is super hot today in Texas um, for some reason, but you never know. It could be cold again tomorrow. So keep them jackets out. <laughs> That's how it that's how it goes. The weather is schizophrenic, just like this industry. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up in the cannabis craze? Okay, definitely. Uh what I I started out say when my first daughter was born, uh we wanted to, you know, live that health healthy lifestyle, try to stop giving them all the, the bad foods, you know, when they're to a certain age. So we we went uh and started a vegetarian diet and say when she was about two years old, ready to start eating, we were pretty much researching like different different proteins and stuff like that, and figured that uh, found out that hemp seed was the best protein available. And I've always been a, a cannabis uh, consumer and advocate, and didn't really think of hemp hemp much more than uh, just what we have for fiber and clothing and stuff like that. But finally realized through that that uh, the hemp seed was have a lot of benefit and uh for some reason we weren't able to uh to consume or grow hemp seed here in the state so i started doing research and uh <clears throat> looking up groups that were actually uh fighting and trying to change this and then i found uh 
two groups, and that's where I started doing my uh, grassroots work. And then uh, early on, I started uh, learning about other people in the in the pretty small hemp industry then that was doing stuff in different states and actually organizing and uh, fighting the DEA just to uh, to actually consume hemp seeds. So this was before like it was available like at Walmart and Target. It, it was more just the specialty stores like Whole Foods and small smaller locations where you can find it and then online but all the all the hemp seeds was coming from um from out of the country so so you started researching that and started figuring okay there's there's reasons that that we can't grow it and it all links back to uh the prohibition states you know everything that happened that against cannabis because i i actually live in a in fort worth and there's a there's a old rail depot here that used to be uh the quartermaster depot if anybody wants to go and research and during world war ii there was um they used to bring all the trains in with uh with supplies and for some reason there's a their main street that goes over it just still splits this um this this huge depot that's now a government facility and a police academy and police um force it's uh the street is called hemp hill and the huge hill goes over the 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 base and it's actually um still used today but when it started out it was they were bringing stuff in for the military and shipping it out and a lot of the products i believe were were hemp products so that's why they named the street the main street there hemp hill now that's just um me tying it together but there is uh paperwork and all that online you can look up about it and it is pretty interesting so i started doing a lot more research and seeing what we could do to grow here in texas and that's where we're here now what um what for you were some of the biggest obstacles in in opening up public advocacy we it's no secret that texas is like not has not been a fan. You know, grandmas were getting arrested coming off the plane with CBD oil. So when you start advocating and creating events and, you know, promoting and seeing these things bloom and blossom before your eyes, what were some of the things that you guys came up against? Were your families against it or for it? Or how did your community respond? And what was your biggest fear? Nope. Early on, uh, family and family and close friends were the main supporters. Like having these events, like in 2010 and 11, like they're real small events, and you're you're literally just explaining to people, you know what what the hemp seed is and it, this milk that they're uh, drinking. That you know you, you can't actually get high from it and stuff like that. So early on, like you say, there still was a little stigma from, let's say, the community crowd. Say so you could you. I would go flyer and have uh, posters up and, and event, you know, flyers in diff- different areas. It's, there was no online advertising and stuff like that then, really. And there was um, there was a a few a few people that would come out with interest, but mostly family and friends to start. And then it wasn't until say five years ago to where there was actually more interest from the community wise to start having larger events and then just recently to where you know it's everybody and like you say their their grandmas has cbd now and getting arrested for it especially in 
in Texas, and it's it's really a, a problem. I've I've spoken to people, especially in uh like the Dallas North Dallas area, to where where a lot of that is happening because there's actually a lot of people that claim they support support the movement and the industry on that side of it, but won't won't go towards the the direct action movement and actually speak to people in their community like the council members and stuff like that the police force and say why are you still arresting these people for for something that's already you know legal here in the state so so it, it, it is still a problem if that's what you're what you're Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely asking, is it still a problem? But I know it's a problem, and I'm just wondering what kind of problem it is. I mean, cannabis and hemp seem to be a pretty different conversation. However, those who are in the know know that there's not that big of a difference. It's like comparing a lemon to a lime, right? Like maybe the color is different. There's a little bit of a difference in flavor, um, which changes the effect of the food that you eat. But at the end of the day, it's all a citrus, right? So. I'd love to know from you, um, for in your opinion, what's the difference between cannabis and hemp? And do you think they should be list, used differently? Um, and do you think that Texas handling the subject of cannabis versus hemp in the in a good way? I think that's a that's a great question, and the way you uh, described it is the exact way I've, I've described it uh, at speaking engagements to where it's. Cannabis is hemp is cannabis, cannabis is hemp, and it's it's just like you say with the citrus analogy, like like oranges and grapefruits, you know, they're different strains of, but they're both citrus. Or, you know, different there's you could they have different different tastes, different, you know, different effects. You have grapefruit oils that do stuff for your skin and body, just like Oranges do stuff for for your health as well. So, and they're they're just different families, just like uh, cannabis. And I, I I personally believe um, speaking about the two as one and using the two as one is is the best option for for anybody for their health regimen. Like I personally, like I'm a daily cannabis user, but I, I would mix it up with you know with smokable hemp, which which is now illegal in Texas and then um smoke smokable cannabis you know or or dabbing isolate cbd isolate or topicals or or you know just edibles just during the day whatever you know whatever's needed just spread out the regimen have you seen what is like a success story that stood out to you i mean obviously we've been in the space for a while you're a young buck like me like you know we're we're kind of on the on the front lines of this hemp revolution even though there's you know pioneers who have come before us to to forge the path what are there i am never like it never ceases to amaze me some of the success stories that I hear or the transformations that I see, what are a couple of stories that are just like, holy shit, I can't believe that that is reality. As in the um, cannabis hemp space or as in a, like a business success story, like somebody, uh, 
um, with in the cannabis and hemp space, like knowing knowing that this plan is creating transformations. What are a couple of those stories that stand out for you? Oh, just where where it's going. Like we're like with the rate the rate as of growth. I guess not not necessarily in the the greatest way because right now everybody's sitting back thinking, oh man, this uh, this plant might not be scalable how we're thinking to where we can grow even 500 acres, you know, because Texas is huge and everybody's ready to jump in with with hundreds to thousands of acres and they're, they're going to sit back there looking at these guys wet bailing and field drying hemp thinking that's the way to go and trying to sell it at the end of the season as, as smokable and, and just and you know and ready for process and they're going to have a big problem on their hands um but the rate the rate that it's grown is is really what uh and the innovation from the from such you know all the the creative minds out there that mm-hmm. that consume cannabis and where where they're taking some of these companies like with the with the plastics but with the bioplastics um and just where everything's going fiber wise, I know everybody's uh, you know all CBD CBD craze the last last couple of years, but there's there's so many other other options that are they're still out there, which uh, these these huge investors would call low hanging fruit that these guys don't even see because they're just on these on the step ladder looking over the low hanging fruit. Do you feel like there's that the mom and pop shops are losing their opportunity to be a part of this industry? Or do you still think that there's space for um, mom and pop style businesses? I think, I think definitely uh, there, there is space for that. And that's, uh, that's, that's where, where I'm going with, with my business pretty much because I'm still, you know, working, get up 5 a.m., going clocking in doing work i love to do coming home you know kids family and then still cannabis hemp but add that to the daily life and trying to uh just still keep spreading that and and hanging in there amongst you know without just wasting wasting tons of dollars like like a like myself could have done i I could have had a huge loss this year just planning for uh huge expos say putting thousands putting thousands of dollars into something like Expo West being in the food industry. I was putting another few thousand dollars into a couple of cannabis expos, then all to be canceled, you know, here recently. So I could, I could be bankrupt, but if there is, and I know there is companies out there, out there that, that did happen to recently, but if, if they just, step back and and see other options or if there's companies that still haven't even got to that level and just take your time and wait these next couple of years because based myself i've seen with the with the hemp industry like it's every every three to four years like you, it gets a boost of uh interest and and it gets a uh, momentum going and more great products come out so i think if people just hang on and look besides cbd and other minor can what they're calling minor cannabinoids and it just look at the bigger picture and they'll see so many other things you could do. I, I personally started in 2014, um, just selling like 
some of my artwork printed on on hemp t-shirts but uh at the time it, you know i had a website going up and stuff like that selling a few shirts printing shirts my own shirts but hemp t-shirts cost too much and time nobody nobody wants to pay for you know 30 35 dollars shirts you know back then but now it's now it's something that I'm gonna have to, you know, look at the option adding to because it's something I still do today: is screen print and do artwork and stuff like that. And another thing, like say last year, I, you know, I'd had to do that myself, kind of step back, kind of fed up with where the industry's going in, in my state. You know, with everybody trying to be uh, the industry leader and the next person is the next, you know, everybody's an expert nowadays. And so I kind of stepped back and gathered my thoughts and said, okay, what am I going to do to keep, you know, to keep myself positive, keep going. So I, I started uh, working on, working on a panel of, um, of people with, with different ideas of say like what, like myself, I, being a creative and into cannabis, I always had the like the vision of like, okay, if people on the on the West Coast where it's legalized already, they they have a, this greater advantage of us in like all the different like the arts, different industries, like way more advanced than say a state like Texas or any other state not legalized. So I, I wanted to get all the different ideas and gather all the different uh, information of people that consume cannabis like all the way back from the, the jazz era and like musicians <clears throat> architects um writers just just different different people doctors lawyers anybody that consume cannabis and and how they add it to their lives and kind of put it together and so i just started working on on that little project and got got some good response from some some pretty big names and still going to do that on the side and just like I say try to keep going while the other stuff isn't isn't really really moving because you can't really produce produce too many products right now unless you're in like say completely clean room and you know it's it's going to take a lot more like say for for mom and pop shop to to keep up if you're trying to do extraction and and stuff like that on large scale because you're going to have to have these huge uh, certified labs. I think, especially going forward, like from these next few months up, so it could be get, get a lot difficult for everybody in general. But craft, I think, craft cannabis, craft hemp in smaller scale, like ice water extraction stuff like that, that you could offer like on your community level or you know state, local state level. In, in just like certain shops, I think mom and pop shops will definitely survive and, and be the ones that to to last the longest in the end. Really, I agree with you. Just coming from a craft background, I'm like, you know, anxious to see. I'm anxious to see craft cannabis rise to the top, but I'm even more interested to see whether or not industrial cannabis will you know, integrate practices that preserve quality over quantity. Um, and it's a pretty interesting paradigm that we're a part of right now where big money and biz big business is coming in here to sort of take over how 
things are being done and how things have been done. And I hope to see more farmers um, and more, you know, mom and pop shops step up and step into industry leadership roles. Um, Describe to me what specifically you're doing in the industry. Like talk to me about your business, talk to me about who you serve and what problem you solve. I think this is a really important point of clarification. And by the way, I'm really excited to get one of your t-shirts because I love OG like original work and I'm all, I have like a massive audience I'd love to share original work on, with. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I'll have to send you one of those out and some, some chocolate samples. Yeah. Um, so, so pretty much I like business wise, like say I'm not, that's not something I just come and announce right off and try to, I'm not trying to sell anything here. There's, but uh, since you asked now, I, when I, after like say the journey of learning of like, all the, early industry stuff and going through legislation and stuff like that, collecting signatures and then emails. <clears throat> Say in 2016, I finally uh, figured out that there was a, there was a need for, for more than just a, you know, a hemp, hemp seed and protein on the nutritional level that more people are actually needing cannabinoids. And so I, I started uh, talking with people like, still close friends, family, um, family of my brothers and, you know, sisters, different, different people that, that needed, uh, cannabis or, or hemp extract on a, on a local level for actually for pains and ailments that, you know, that it, people say that it helps with. Like I, I've never went and told them, Hey, this is going to cure anything or anything like that. But I, I did have people talk with me that, that I have recommended, certain regimens too and like yourself may know and you know i know that you know certain stuff helps me and so i started you know everybody doesn't doesn't smoke cannabis or hemp or everybody doesn't use topical or even a tincture or edible a lot of people don't like edibles but on the on the chocolate side i, I started uh researching like what chocolates and anandamide, like it, the, you know, the natural, the natural bliss molecule, like what they had in common and a natural way of going about it. So I, I decided to combine uh, like natural cacao and, and cannabis and use that as a method to, for delivery for, for the different people that I was dealing with. Cause I was, I was consulting people from ages, say, five five years old up up to 60 70 years old and it was we're still uh on the hip side of it you know if, if they could have full cannabis regimens i'm sure they would do a lot better because there's been a couple people that i've i've that i've worked with that, that actually didn't make it and i believe it's because of the you know because you know some people might need a one to one THC CBD and they, they won't do well just with him, but our state doesn't, doesn't know that. So what do you, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, what do you think, what do you think is going to make the difference? What do you think is going to change the tide for Texas? I was talking with another entre- group of entrepreneurs 
out there who are really advocating for um, cultivation, uh, which was interesting to me because I'm on the genetic side. My husband and his partner who have been in cultivation for, you know, a real long time have stabilized, feminized strains with unique cannabinoid profiles they're not like the typical cherry wine strain, for instance, that everybody has and most people fucked up. Um, so uh, are they, uh, so they're not the, like, like you say, the cherry wine and all those typical ones. Those are, to my understanding, those are bred just hemp and there's bred out as hemp, right? And the, the, the nicer strains you're speaking of, those are actually cannabis strains bred back to, to lower the THC levels to make them legal, correct? Say that one more time. You just cut out for a second. Say the, uh, like the regular strangers talking about the cherry wine and those basic, uh, basic cultivars. Those are just bred out regularly as hemp. And the, the nicer strangers speaking of, those are actually bred backwards to reduce the THC. Yes. Like, right. That's, and that's what, and that's, and I believe that that's where it's going. Like if there's not a lot of people in that, going leaning that way with the hemp side like you say a lot of people are even jumped off the cliff early and got thousands of seeds ordered like you say of these basic strains and that that is where the like you say the craft the craft hemp and cannabis side of it it's it's really going to take off because i mean you i could find these these cherry wine strains at many convenience stores here close to me and like you say, the nicer stuff is is actually bred by. <coughs> excuse me, bred by uh, by people that actually know what they're doing and have a passion for the plant, and not just uh, trying to get a quick, you know, quick buck out of it. Yeah, I I completely. I completely agree. I think that, um, you know, you're absolutely right. Some of the strains that I'm talking about are coming from geneticists who have been in this space. I'm literally cracking a bag open right now. Um, but geneticists who have been in this space for a long time and they used to breed all these exotic cannabis strains. And now they're like, okay, well, let's breed them backwards and see how that goes. And so we're creating really cannabinoid rich strains that have the nose and the terpene profiles and everything like that necessary to catch a person's attention or to keep you a unique different, you know, uniquely differentiated. Right. Now, now, um, to tie that kind of with the, in the, the large scale, like, uh, commercialization of it, like what you're speaking of, like, what do you, um, what do you think of like the, the genetics or are those genetics, already protected against these large companies that come in like like Monsanto and Marlboro if it's not the same company and uh and all these big guys that start start trying to take over these genetics and and uh terpene profiles even and puts tries to put like you say everybody out of business um, I do think that there's some protection in place, but at the end of the day, how much protection can you really have against a company that literally owns it? That would be like me saying, you know, I, I developed a dish soap and my dish soap is the only dish soap that DuPont doesn't own. 
Right. And in fact, no matter what I do, DuPont is going to profit off of my development of dish soap. Whether they own the formula or not, I still got to buy, you know, a package that DuPont owns the packaging company or they own the plastics company or they own, you know, the ingredients company that serves the uh, ingredient sourcing that I get my shit from. You know what I'm saying? So like Monsanto is one of those people who snatch pollen out of the sky and genetically modify it so that they can stabilize it. Right. So I don't know what the protection is going to look like. And I hate to be a conspiracy theorist, but like Marlboro and Big Tobacco has been buying property in Northern California since the early <laughs> 90s, late 80s. And um, and we used to laugh because being in the, you know, driving up and down the 101, being out way out in the fields, like we were 45 minutes from a tank of gas and we drive down and this piece of property that was, you know, just outrageously huge all the things that you could ever want, but just totally out of price would suddenly disappear off the market, but no one would be moving in there. None of the neighbors would know who bought it. And all of a sudden it would get listed and we would see who was behind it, you know? So they've been buying property for a long time. Um, I remember in 2009 and 10, when I was looking up putting pre-rolled, pre-rolled joints into a cardboard box, the patent on green cardboard boxes with 20 pre-rolled packs in it is owned by Marlboro and has been for ages. You know, cannabinoids period, especially in their isolated form are owned by the patents owned by the U S government. So I think patent number 663507 is owned by the, the, by the government. So are they protected? I don't know. In theory, yeah, the best that we can with our little, you know, armor and swords. But these guys are coming to a knife fight with a bunch of guns and cannons. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're not sure who's going to win. (laughs) Yeah, a bunch of uh, forceful acquisitions is what what I've seen and what I guess will continue to happen. You know, once once you have a good enough offer, I mean, somebody has other great ideas. I'm sure they won't mind selling that great idea to one of these larger companies and then continuing with their other ideas. Totally. Totally. So I think, you know, I, as an industry, I think we're up against some pretty incredible stuff. And as individuals, I think that we have to decide what kind of industry we want to have, what kind of industry we want to promote and be a part of. Um, and that's our choice. We can only manage, um, we can only manage what we can manage and then, you know, the resources run out. So I think um, for the time being, passion-filled and purpose-driven entrepreneurs who have unique um, selling propositions like a unique strain or a unique product or a unique formula or unique art, um, these things that make a company uh, independent of the industry, but also a part of the movement are really, really powerful. And the more that you can use your story to build your brand, the better. Because people are, you know, 95% more likely to buy from a company that has social efficacy built into it. They're about 56% 
more likely to buy because you have a good story. You know, that these things are like really key in being able to build your marketability as a company. Right, right. And uh, yeah, I, I agree for sure. And, and it definitely takes uh, takes time. It's not going to be, you know, this one year, you know, one year and get a, get a couple of influencers and, and go to a couple of these big shows and then your brand is brand is big. It takes years to build a, I guess the the trust and the <clears throat> that uh, I guess what what's the word I'm looking for that that long term that long term relationship with the with these clients that are gonna follow your product longevity and your brand, yeah for for a long long time and not not just some quick overnight you know scandal then once you once you see uh psychedelics taking off you're going to jump on on psychedelics and you know you leave your customer there with wondering what to do you know yeah yeah i have i you know here's a formula and i guess this is a great way to segue into the words of wisdom um in the words of wisdom, I always ask the question, what are one or two key pieces of advice that you would offer budding entrepreneurs or people who are considering getting into this space? And my um, my take on the question, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna get your your take on this too. So my take on this type of question is you know, what can we do to stand apart and how can we maintain our individuality here? And the key consideration for any business is how can we, um, how can we stand apart in a noisy, crowded marketplace with a unique product and brand? Um, There's a book called The Millionaire Master Plan by Roger James Hamilton, who's a futuristic entrepreneur who's paired 5,000 years of the I Ching with modern day capitalism and entrepreneurship. And it's a really powerful book and sort of directive from his own story on how to build your company with the most amount of trust, then the most amount of leverage to be able to deliver your product or service into the marketplace and and then the revenue being the revenue and also the impact being a reflection of how the market is receiving that value and sharing in that trust. Um, he developed a whole profiling system that helps you to identify what kind of entrepreneur you are. So my my pieces of advice in this space when you're considering getting into the business, staying into the business, adjusting things so you can maintain your relevancy in the business. Number one, understand who you are and what you love to do and where your talents are. If you are somebody who loves talking to and collaborating with people, you should be building a business that incorporates that skill set. If you are a systems person and you want to know how you can, you know, outsource everything and build a team so that everything runs really smoothly, you, you know, like a, like a Bezos would, you know, then do that. Find a really heavy systems-based business. Cultivation would be one of those things. It's just seed in, product out. Um, or, you know, manufacturing is another good example of that. Investing is a timing thing. If you're, if you're like Warren Buffett and you're always watching the timing of things, that's a, you know, you should definitely consider 
a business model that will incorporate that. Whatever it is that you choose, make sure that it, it that it plays to and allows you to utilize your best and highest skill sets, your deepest passion and desire to change people's life, and know that you have identified a specific problem for a specific person that you want to solve for with a product or service. Without those key elements, you're going to find yourself being a Me Too product and a Me Too brand in a Me Too industry where big business will swallow you whole. Um, however, the brands that and businesses and business owners who have a compelling story, a unique product, and really apply their passion here will be you know strong enough to stand alone in a crowded marketplace. What what's your response to that? How how do you think somebody stays individual and unique in this industry? Uh, well, firstly, firstly is originality. Like just be original. Everything everything you do from your your product, you know, your development, your your marketing, your your packaging, everything, be, you know, be original to your your first plan of why you, why you started it in the first place, and uh, that'll be the, the first good step. Um, and secondly, how to how, how to It, it, it used to be the the elephant in, in the room, and now it's a, a room full of elephants. And how how do you how do you stand out? Is is a question you're asking. Besides besides great products and uh, connecting with with the with your with your target markets, um, try to try to avoid any any anything that's that's trending. And and keep moving forward through through the through the roughness because it's I've I've personally had thousands of dollars uh, on the table with you know opportunities to go to some some other city and you know leave leave my family here for a few months to to sit in this incubator and hope that uh you know my company will do good with the with the offering they give me but turn you know. For some great reason, uh, got turned down just by the the questions I asked. You know, so ask ask the right questions. If you do have opportunities, um, ask. You know, if the terms are negotiable. You know, if what's what's the pool's going to look like? What's you know, is there anything going to be left of your of your great idea in the end after you start growing and and all these costs start coming out and these larger companies that are that are going to help you are if it's actually going to be good for your company. So, you know, just, just look at everything and, and be very cautious of, of scams. Of, there, there's tons of, uh, tons of online scams or anything in the cannabis industry that was any other, other industry now is in the cannabis industry now, like shoe salesmen, car salesmen, everything is in the cannabis industry now. So you just got to be vigilant. Such good advice. Where can folks find you if they want to follow what you're doing and um, and engage with you, you know, and your brand? Yeah, for sure. Um, I I do also have uh, two book recommendations that I, that I didn't throw in there that I was going to say first after you had your great book recommendation. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Throw it in. Firstly, if you're going to start off in cannabis or hemp, you gotta you gotta have a copy of The Emperor Wears No Clothes by Jack Kara. And then 
if if you read that book front to back and and fully understand you you would definitely have thousands of ideas of where, which way to go with with your you know with your cannabis business plan and it it's it's not going to be a green rush it's not not overnight and that that help that book will help you understand the you know the beginning and the you know the culture of it and, and what actually uh ideas and you know what what was fought for to get us here where we're at now and uh another book that i'd recommend is um it's a simple uh, let's see a simple guide to organic living it highlights the the sol tour and it's uh with woody harrelson and uh that book really really helped me out when i started on my vegetarianism journey and and it really explained like the hemp the beginning hemp industry and uh and everything going on in Kentucky and how how it started out and and what Woody Harrelson was doing there and and how how hemp was uh going to move forward and then it's it's just a good book to to have in general just as say a guide and then uh the the emperor book is just the one of the greatest cannabis cannabis books you could have. Try to get the hemp edition too if you can. Such a good such a good book recommendation. I love Emperor Wears No Clothes. Such a good book. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> for any information, you could uh, you could go on go on my website www hemp choco.com that's h-e-m-p-x-o-c-o you could you could sign up there we're not selling anything now we, we might do a drop like uh this other company that does drops on thursdays only <laughs> maybe have some special oreos or something out no we would never do that but uh we we will have some product here soon we did have a good menu of stuff out that we were trying to uh to have on a larger scale, but with the current regulations, um, we can't even uh, sell hemp flour currently in Texas. So we're, we're having to to recalculate some things and and move on. But you can still go on there and leave us your email and get information, or look for us on IG under Hemp Choco, same thing, or on Twitter, same handle. Amazing. I love it. I, and I have to just say, I love a fellow, um, you know, young entrepreneur. We are still what I would consider to be young entrepreneurs. So I love that you're in the game alongside with me and excited to continue to follow your success and and your journey. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Um, And for those of you guys who are on the Hemp Revolution community, thank you so much for being a part of this incredible family. I invite you now to like and share this content. When you like and share and tag five people, you are literally a part of helping us transform the way that we think about and talk about cannabis and hemp inside of our families and communities. Check us out at medicalsecrets.com for products that you can depend on to deliver the results that you're looking for. And check and shoot me an email if you're an industry professional, if you have a unique story or passion for this space and you want to share that with me, shoot me an email, Sonia at medicalsecrets.com. Would love to connect with you. I'm your hostess with the most of Sonia Gomez, and this is The Hemp Revolution. We'll see you on our next show, guys. 
Thanks for listening to this episode. We took notes on this episode for you, along with all the links and resources mentioned in the episode. Get them free on the show notes page here at www.medicalsecrets.com. If you love this show and our content, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you really want to help us get the message out there, please rate, review, and tell all your friends. With your help, we can continue to reach the world with our message. And until next time, we hope you join the hemp revolution, and we challenge you to dream big and love the life you live.